I'm Jonathan Platt, and you're listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast. Nobody makes it to the top alone. Now, you don't even have to try. Your journey to a life filled with purpose and leadership fueled by confidence begins right now. My guest this week is 2021 Hall of Fame W.R. White Meritorious Service Honoree, Martha Lou Scott. After graduating from Baylor in 1971, Martha Lou Chadwick Scott began work at the university as an office manager. Without realizing it, she began a, quote, job that would lead to an entire career in student life at Baylor. Martha Lou retired in 2019 as the Associate Vice President for Student Life. Her career spanned over 48 years, during which she prioritized her work by listening to students' voices, their needs, and their concerns. Thanks for joining me to hear Martha Lou's story and celebrate her together as the Baylor family. Here's my interview with the one and only Martha Lou Scott. You are receiving the W.R. White, or you're one of the people receiving the W.R. White uh, Meritorious Service Award this year in the class of 2021 Hall of Fame honorees. It is a mouthful to say, um, but I would just say congratulations. Big time. Congratulations. You're so deserving of, of this. What does this award mean to you? Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your saying that, definitely. Um, I'm overwhelmed that I was even nominated, much less that I was selected, especially when you consider that Gaynor Yancey and Mike Sims are in the same grouping because I have such deep admiration and respect for the two of them. Um, just some of the most incredible, or two of the most incredible people ever. And then the rest of the group um, in this particular um, selection, um, it took my breath away as I was reading their names and seeing my name was listed there on the same page as theirs. Um, it's extraordinarily humbling to, to have that happen, particularly when I look at the fact that it's named for W.R. White. He was still working in PACNIF when I first started working in PACNIF. Um, when I see the recipients who've come before me and I know how deep their care for others is, um, I'm, I'm amazed that somehow I finagled my way into that group of people. Um, it, it's an extreme and extraordinary honor. I don't know what this says, um, but uh, I sat at the table last year at Hall of Fame with you and Ella yes. Pritchard. So both of you are in this class. Um, I don't know what that says uh, about us sitting together, but maybe I should really consider who I sit with uh, in the future. Um, if that's part of the selection, definitely. <laughs> but who could have a better friend than Ella Pritchard as well? She's one of my so, heroes. And, and, and I could say that about everybody in the entire group. Sure. But yeah, I, I thought about that as soon as I read the, the list of names about our sharing dinner at the banquet last year. Yeah. And in a way, wishing we were doing the same again this year, but accepting the circumstances for what they are. Yeah, I'm. I'm very, um, very. I'll be honest. I'm sad that we're not in person uh, and that we won't be in person. But I'm very excited uh, 
about the changes that we've got for Hall of Fame this year and the advancements that we're going to make. Um, we kind of skipped over uh, straight into uh, questions, but I-, I should probably give you a minute uh, or two to introduce yourself. Um, I know you. I um, have uh, known about you and your record for years and, and heard many people whom I respect so highly speak so incredibly highly of you. But to those who don't know your story and to those who uh, you know, maybe don't uh, have the opportunity of having met Martha Lou yet, could you tell us a little bit about you, um, your personal and your professional story and uh, what it's been like in your Baylor career? Well, I grew up in East Texas in a place called Center, C-E-N-T-E-R. Quite often I say it as though it were S-I-N-N-E-R because I'm that East Texas still. Um, You know I'm from Kilgore, right? Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yes. Yes. And Gators from Pittsburgh. So we've we've got a a good little East Texas group going. Yes, very much. And people who will know where one another's from, which in East Texas, sometimes it's hard to do. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but I was the middle child of um, the pastor of First Baptist Church there. My father pastored for over 35 years. Um, my mother, even though she stayed at home and did all of those things that a homemaker does, um, she was equally involved in church life and did all kinds of things um, in the way of support for my father and teaching and having receptions and everything else she could think of. Um, I followed my brother to Baylor. My father was a graduate, I think, in 34, 35, something like that. Then my brother um, was two years, or came to Baylor two years before I did. Uh, I followed him here. Uh, Even since at a young age that God was calling me into service, uh, and I didn't really understand at that point what kind or where that would be. Uh, I came to Baylor to be a home economics teacher, and thankfully, the Lord spared a lot of children. <laughs> not that I didn't scar some people even in my professional life, but um, but I came thinking that was all I wanted to do, teach home economics and go back to East Texas. And with every um, year that unfolded, I felt a greater sense and need to stay here and do something here. Uh, my sister followed my brother and me to Baylor nine years after I graduated. So all three of us are Baylor and, graduates. I'm sorry, what year did you graduate? I graduated in 71 the first time. 71. And um, and then as I was looking for a job, W.C. Perry offered me a job as an office manager. And it was actually in the, I'd been working as a student in the women's housing um they called it women's residence halls, started out there as an office assistant. Dean Perry offered me the job in his area of work in the vice president's office. Um, There was Dean Perry, Virginia Crump, and me, the entire um, area at that point of student affairs. Um, We had housing and we had Marie Mathis who reported directly to the president, But, but we were pretty much it. And things have changed obviously since then. Um, but coming from East Texas, I think, gave me such a grounding. Coming from a very small high school had given me an opportunity to try everything that I wanted to try. Um, 
if you wanted it, sometimes it meant that it was up to you to build it. Um, and I think for someone who ends up working with students, um, that's a wonderful foundation to build from. Um, one where um, quite often the resources aren't there or weren't there, or it was just a matter of digging in and working with others to try to find solutions that weren't obvious uh, at the beginning. So it was a, it was a great foundation and a, a good beginning. And fortunately, um, as Dean Perry launched that career, um, one door after another opened to me. Yeah. Most of the doors I tried to open for myself never did materialize. Um, more often, I was asked to, to help in a certain way. And that's how I went from one position to another. And you began as an office administrator and retired as an associate vice president, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And you retired. I'm so sorry. My 2020 messed up, uh, you know, all of our, our, all of our timelines. You retired in 19? The first of uh, 2019. Yes. Okay. Okay. What has, what has that glorious life of retirement been like? What have you been up to? It's been glorious. Yeah. Um, my husband and I were doing a little bit of traveling. He's been retired or he had been retired for almost 20 years when I retired. And what did um, he do? Um, he worked for the city the entire time. He was uh, police chief for a while, director of personnel for a while. So um, we were both busy people and um, retirement gave us an opportunity to be by ourselves. And COVID gave us a tremendous opportunity <laughs> to be by ourselves, which um, in a way, you know, it's like everything else in life. As many downsides as there might be, there are so many positive things that can come of it. And being locked in a, in a house with your spouse or um, not having the social obligations to take you away from that environment um, had a lot of benefit. We've enjoyed this. He keeps trying to make a farmer of me, but I don't do it as well as it needs to be done. I give he's, the effort, but that's about it. He's out there right now, isn't he? Uh, he had a baby bull this morning, or his cow had a baby bull this morning. Yeah, we raised beef master. Very cool. Very cool. I remember all that. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that you followed your brother uh, to Baylor and right. that he had followed your father to Baylor. Was right. it an expectation that that he uh, go to Baylor, that you go to Baylor, and that your sister go to Baylor? Or, or was it uh, total personal love and choice to, to come to Waco? Um, I remember times were very different back in the 60s, um, but it was, it was never a, an expectation. It was never a pressure. It was never even, um, it was never discussed that deeply. Um, I didn't apply anyplace else except Baylor. Um, but I think for my father, he had seen with others from Center who had come to Baylor um, because we had some celebrities like Dale Schaffner and Charlie Bradshaw who came from Center. Uh, there were some other great students in there as well, but they're the most nationally known. Um, but I, I think it was that knowledge that the education that you receive at Baylor is different. Uh, it's more complete. It is about so many things more than just what happens in a classroom. 
the classroom is always important. That's the main focus. But there are other ways that you're developing as a human. And I think that it was that knowledge that um, in this environment, uh, we would be allowed to, to flourish. Uh, we would be supported and nurtured. Um, we could do things on our own. I mean, my goodness, we were 200 miles from home. And, um, and at that time, that was practically like being on the other side of the world. Um, so there were, uh, there were freedoms that we found at Baylor um, that you don't have when you're a preacher's kid growing up in a hometown of fewer than 5,000 people. But um, there are also those people around you at Baylor who, without being um, so direct, uh, just a bit more subtle, can encourage you in the way that you need to grow in the, in the right directions and to make better choices than you might make in other places. This is just a curiosity. It's not really related um, to a Hall of Fame. Uh, but did, I, did any of you, you, your brother, or your sister have a car at Baylor? Um, my brother for two years didn't have a car. Then after I came, for a year, we didn't have a car. And then uh, we had my father's old black Buick. Um, the family joke was we always had a black Buick because they looked good in funerals. And my father did that many funerals. So we we got the, the retired black Buick and drove it back and forth to, was, to go home. I was just curious. I, I um, talked to... Ella Pritchard, I mean, years ago, it wasn't for Hall of Fame, but talking to her, she told me about uh, dragging her bags from the train. And so I'm just always curious about what it, what the, the transportation systems for uh, students uh, from several decades ago were. Because I know the, the current model of every student having a car is a very recent trend. Um, so I was, I was just curious. Yeah. Well, my mother used to drive us back and forth. My father always found a revival or something else going on. So he never got to do the move in, move out thing. Uh, but my mother would bring us at Sunday after church and then drop us off, turn around and go home again. Wow. wow. And at that time, women lived in the residence halls for four years. My brother moved out after a year. But okay. even people in my hometown who had been to Baylor, um, it's Lewis Muldrow's mother, um, told me that as a Baylor student, she packed her trunk put it on the train, came into Waco, and didn't go home again until Christmas break. Um, yeah. and, and that's just how it was. So, yeah, things have changed tremendously, especially with what students expect nowadays. Yeah. So we can get off on a tangent about all of that, but um, I want to keep it on you. Uh, you have such an incredible legacy and an incredible uh, career and history at, at Baylor. You shaped so many people's lives. Um, I'm curious about the lives that shaped you. You've already mentioned uh, Dr. Gaynor Yancey, Ella Wall Pritchard, and Mike Sims, um, but during your career at Baylor, and, and I consider your student career part of that, um, who were some of those people that were role models, mentors, uh, inspirations while at Baylor, or who might have just interacted with Baylor, maybe gone to Baylor um, and have since left? Um, and, and I'm glad you asked that question because my earliest remember um, memories from Hall of Fame came as the 
the recipients talked about the influence of specific faculty members. And it would literally just make me stop dead in my tracks and think, um, what kind of life am I living? Is there anybody who would ever consider me a positive uh, influence in their lives? Um, it, it, it makes you do a lot of self-evaluation. But sorry, to answer your question, um, oh yeah, in, in the um, home economics department, um, one of the feistiest women, um, Rita Sanders, was um, such an influence. She didn't take anything except the standard or above. She expected it to be done when you said it was going to be done, to be done to the best of your ability. And then she asked for more than that because she knew that there was more than what you considered your best of ability. Um, so many people in that department who um, really shaped me, uh, Sadie Jo Black, oh my goodness, um, you know, she was one of those faculty members who would teach you in class, and then as class was out, um, she would continue the discussion. We would, um, we went to her home one summer when we were here for our summer school. She had all the students over, and the other faculty who were here joined her. Uh, at that time, we lived in the, the home management house. And so having that kind of experience with a faculty member living in and being a part of what you're doing 24 hours a day, every day of the week, um, is, is such uh, it makes such a difference. Um, it's a constant evaluation and um, a constant challenge of what more can you do? What more can you, or how differently can you act? And then moving in with Dean Perry as my first boss, well, Aline Bailey, I guess, was really my first direct supervisor, but Lois Pickering was in that office and such a godly, wonderful, caring individual. She was the one who I saw how you should treat someone in the office. Um, she would study because at this time you would, or at that time in history, you sent pictures in with your application and she would look at the picture and see what the student looked like. She would read all about them. And then if they just happened to come into the office to ask her something, she was able to call them by name. She was ab able to ask them about their hometown or their younger brother or sister. She just, she, she saw the, the importance of personhood and, I admired that so much about her. If if I could ever be, um, if I could ever be that kind of a colleague to those I worked with, if I could ever be that kind of an individual, which um, I never achieved that, quite honestly. But That's it was not something... true. I have plenty of friends who I went to to school with who talked about how special it felt that you would know their name. Um, that professors who have talked and uh, mentioned your name, I, I know that, that you did achieve that. I'm still not a Lois Pickering, so I will still work toward that. Definitely still work toward You're right. That. You're not a Lois Pickering. You're a Martha Lou Scott. Well, uh, thanks for accepting that as, as, as what it is. But even all my bosses at one point or another, with Dean Perry, I learned efficiency. With A.A. Hyden, I learned great compassion and just how you let the world unfold before you. Um, there's no need to be worried about today. God is going to help us take care of today. Um, with Dr. Hillis, what a brilliant man he was. 
but as, as intellectual as he was, his heart was even larger. Um, and just to see somebody of that magnitude um, in a profession and see how he turned that career around and came to Baylor and literally gave back. Um, it, every day working with him was a different kind of inspiration. Um, there was something that I learned with every encounter and, and traveling with him even. It was like going with an encyclopedia in the seat next to you. Um, we would we went to a, a parents meeting um, in a back to school send off in California. And as we flew over certain parts of different states, he would lean over and say, now you know that this is the, whatever the geographic area was, um, their main source of income is whatever it is. Um, it's at an ele uh, elevation of whatever. I mean, he knew everything. He knew the trees, the people, um, the industry. It just, he was one of a kind. And you can't work with someone like that every day without being changed for that reason. And I could go through the rest of my bosses all the way up to Kevin Jackson, who is Mr. Energizer. Um, but but to, to have been at Baylor and to have seen so many things unfold, even Edna McCall, um, back when I had first started at Baylor, I was taking minutes in a meeting and there he was, the president of the university, and he had the knowledge of where the, the, um, um, the water lines and the, the um, uh, oh, shoot, I can't think of the word, the, but the, the um, ducts that take the water away, the tunnels, um, so many different things he brought into a conversation and just the most humble individual. Um, and, and he could go in a meeting from talking about uh, sewer lines. Pardon me, that's what I was thinking of. Um, he could go from talking about those very mundane things that you don't think anybody's going to know except the person who works in that area and flip it and suddenly start reciting poetry because it seemed appropriate for whatever that discussion was. Um, those people all in one way or another left um, left me uh, left handprints on me. Um, I picked up different things from all of them and I pray every day that I could grow in those ways like they grew or perform in those ways like they performed. Uh, never reaching that goal but always having that memory of this is the possibility. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite stories uh, that I've heard, I think Kay Miller told it to me um, about uh, Judge McCall, was that she would be in meetings with him um, and he would have stopped on his way to the meeting at the pecan trees at the end of Found Mall and have picked up pecans and then yeah. in the meeting would sit there and, and crush them and, and eat them. <laughs> I've seen that happen, yes. <laughs> but, but even, you know, talking about um, President McCall, I can't help but think of Herbert Reynolds. The very first day, the very first day I went to work in Patneth Hall, I was walking down the hall, and he said, well, good morning, Miss Martha Lou, how are you? And I thought, this is scary. How does this man know me from 
anybody else on the face of the earth, much less to call me out, to welcome me in the way that he did. Um, it's, it was it it was amazing, and I awesome. still see I still see some of those things, uh, some of those qualities that we have in our current president, Linda Livingston. Yeah, those those three men, um, the namesake of the award you're receiving, uh, Judge McCall and Herb Reynolds. I, I don't know if we'll ever get all of their stories told because they they each touched so many thousands and thousands of lives in such intimate and personable and, and, and humble uh, ways. They, they did so much for not only this university as a you know, university system, but so much for this family in, in laying such large pieces of the foundation that we now uh, rely on as, as, a, as a university and a family. So, well, and it, it was way beyond the classroom, for sure. I mean, Ann Miller was my Sunday school teacher. How many people in this world can say they had a Sunday school teacher like an Ann Miller? I felt like I had to do homework before I went to church. <laughs> Not that I still do that to a certain extent. But, but um, the discussion, the level of the discussion was amazing. I believe it. I believe it. This, this one's going to be a hard question then. Um, what, you know of all the stories that you have, what's the one that you still remember most? What's the most memorable, the, the, the coolest, the most inspiring story that you've had at your time at Baylor from your experiences with students to faculty, to, to staff, to alumni, just across the board? Is there one story that really comes to your mind? Um, there are a lot of stories I try to forget for one thing, um, because the beauty of working with individuals who are in a college setting, a traditional college setting, um, you know that they're going to say some things and do some things that really aren't who they are. It's just part of that trying to find their identity. So um, there's some things that I would say, I hope that I was able to give individuals the benefit of the doubt and think that in that moment, um, their unhappiness or displeasure in certain conversations that we had to have um, passed and they grew from that experience to something else. So there's some some stories I purposely forget. Um, but to answer this one, I will group it and say, um, the thing that haunts me um, are the people who come back and say, do you remember when you told me whatever? Or when you advised me however? And it, it um, but most times, no, I don't. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, I don't remember that individual. Um, but, but it also um, reminds me how much God is in control that whatever my encounter was with another person, um, they were able to take some snippet of that exchange that we had and use it for a greater good. Those are the most uh, humbling and literally um, caused me to, um, to get weak in the knees of um, I had an encounter with somebody that for whatever reason, help them through what they were experiencing at that time. 
and the, the story that haunts me the most is a former student coming in and not knowing her or remembering her um, and, and not even engaging at that moment to try to dig some of that out. Um, that, that saddens me um, when I can't remember um, who someone is or, or what, what time we shared because I can remember some things so vividly because they were of that life-changing um, time for me. Um, I wish that I could remember something that somebody else might consider uh, have, having been a moment that might have changed their lives. So, and I love the stories where people have met because of a program that I've worked with and they have met one another and they have married and they bring back their children to meet me. That, that makes me extraordinarily happy. That's a fantastic one. You, and you those brought happen up, from time to time. I, I'm sure. I'm certain of it. Uh, you, you mentioned some of the challenges that you faced uh, over the years, just generically. Um, and while I guess I'm not asking this question for you to, to tell me about, you know, a student's awful situation you had to work through. Um, I, I guess I'm more talking about as you moved up, you know, and, and gained more responsibility and, and influence and left behind a larger legacy uh, to the, you know, in, innumerable number, if that's the right way to say it, uh, innumerable number of students whose lives you touched. Um, what, what was the most challenging part of rising to that success um, and having lived a life uh, of, of success? What advice would you give to this generation that is coming up right now with high aspirations that wants to make change in dozens, hundreds, thousands of people's lives? What advice would you leave them having gone through those challenges? Um, I think it's important to remember that as long as people are alive, um, because I think the, the very worst moments of my professional life that became the worst moments in my personal life were having to work with um, friends and family members when a student has died, whatever the reason is, whatever. Um, it, because at that moment, there's a finality to that. You know that, um, that whatever it is, we're not gonna be able to work through that. Um, so I, I think my advice would be, as long as people are there and you can continue the conversation to do whatever you can do to keep the, the communication lines open. Um, I, I didn't enjoy people ever screaming at me or cursing or things like that, but there was a certain amount of that I was willing to tolerate because I knew that it was the other person expressing the level of hurt that they had at that moment, the level of brokenness that they had at that moment. So that was okay because it helped us continue to talk and to figure out how can we go from this, this depth of despair to getting back on track where you want to be and how can we help you graduate. Um, that's one of the reasons that I found some of the latter years of my professional life so rewarding was working with students who um, had such dark periods in their time 
and then being able to bring a network of support around them, um, get them the medical attention that they needed, getting them the psychological assistance that they needed, getting them the support in whatever way, uh, including spiritual support, to help them put pieces of their brokenness back together so that they could work and take one more step toward the goal that they had. So keep keep working, keep communicating, keep caring. Right. I love it. I love it. Well, and, and, and I regret that I can't be anybody except who I am. Um, so there's, but there's something that comes with the genuineness of working with who you are. Uh, we all have challenges. And, and when you're the one hurting, you think the, the rest of the world's perfect. Um, it's not perfect. And sometimes just reminding yourself as you remind somebody else, we all have to start at one spot and, and try to get to another spot. So I'm here to, to work with you. I want to work with you. So, okay, I've got some fun uh, rapid fire questions just to kind of round out and close up our conversation together. Um, the rules for rapid fire questions are you can't think. You just got to answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Ooh, be um, careful. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to try to keep them uh, short at the beginning. If you want to provide some context after, but I, I want, I want like your first answer that comes to your head. Okay. Don't, don't edit, you know, Okay. Um, the journalist is saying don't edit. So, okay. So when uh, first question, when the pressure is building, you know, when there's stress, anxiety, uh, my physical response to stress is that my shoulders like roll up and I, I clench my teeth. And so when I feel those happening, uh, that's, I know that that's like, Hey, stress is near. Um, when that pressure is building and that stress is there and you feel yourself having those physical reactions to that anxiety and stress, what is that first thing that you do to try to clear your head, you know, reground you to the earth, um, and to commit yourself to the next right thing? What's that first thing that you try to remind yourself to do? I try to remind myself to pray first. What I typically do first is eat. So <laughs> eat a cookie, eat a potato chip, whatever it might be. Um, but that pray. Yeah. Yeah. What is something that people might get wrong about you? I think people probably think I'm far more outgoing than I am. I I do not like being in the spotlight. I don't like to speak publicly. I don't, um, you know, give me a one-on-one -on -one any day. Um, I, I don't, I'm not that outgoing. So quite often uh, in my introvertedness, um, I'm not the one to go over and say hello to somebody. I have to speak to myself ahead of time and, and bring that up to a, com a comfort level in order to do that. I understand so, completely. So it would come across as being a snob. <laughs> I highly doubt that. Uh, okay. What, what show, what TV show, what movie, what are y'all into right now? Are you watching anything? Um, I just finished watching the crown. I know that I'm, several years behind who cares people. you finally joined us oh my gosh love that show 
Well, and I watched that right after Downton Abbey. All these people were talking about these shows, and I wasn't watching anything. And now that I'm in retirement, I've got a little extra time, especially being confined to home. It's a great part of the isolation. How would you rate The Crown? Did it live up to expectations? Um, it exceeded expectations, really, and it towed more history. Uh, I thought during retirement, I was alive during this. How did I miss that? But, um, but I, I appreciated the, the attention to detail of that. I, I, and the I, same for Downton Abbey. But remember, you know, I'm the home economics person, so I cared about the room arrangement and the, the etiquette of that time. At one point in time, I'm not sure if this is still the case, uh, the crown was uh, was costing something like a million dollars an episode to produce. It was the most expensive Netflix show that they had produced per episode because they wanted that everything needed to be right and everything needed to be real, you know, as few uh, digitally altered things uh, as possible. So I, I agree. I, it's ex- completely exceeded my expectations. The problem is though, you got to wait like a year before the next one comes out. And I'm just not prepared to do that. I need them to hurry up. Well, and you know, at some point they're going to catch up with now. And, and so that means for sure it goes away. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So um, when you go to bed tonight, what's on your nightstand? Oh, I have, um, I have two stacks of books that I have um, just put under there, bought and put away. So I've got those. And um, a friend over Christmas just sent me um, Neil Jeffrey's book. So it's on the top of my stack. So I hope to be starting to read it tonight. I understand. I, my Kindle is, is nothing but a library of things that I really want to read. So I, so I, I get it. So um, if you could be anywhere right now, you know, COVID was gone and, and you know, money was no issue. Um, if y'all could be anywhere right now, where, where would you be? Where I am. I love it. Well, I was, I was away from home a lot during my professional life. So I literally love being at home. There's some days I just walk through the house looking around. Not that it's a great house. I just, I love being at home and what that sense of being at home is. Yeah. That's uh, somebody, somebody called me a homebody one time, like it was an insult. And I was like, I love being at home. Not an insult at all. It's a compliment. Yeah. So what is some advice that somebody gave you or, or that you learned from someone? I guess it doesn't have to be explicit, you know, said, but what's some advice that someone gave you or that you picked up from someone that you'll never forget? Ooh. I'm sure being an East Texas preacher's daughter, uh, you may have picked up some stuff there. I mean, we just went through the list of people that you worked with. Uh, anything come to mind? Um, I'm so sorry. Nothing comes to mind right now. That's okay. It might in just a minute. I'm, I've been given a lot of good advice. Um, I'm trying to think of the things that I go back to. Well, okay. I'll ask it, I'll ask it this way. Um, I'm always incredibly interested uh, when I meet another uh, East Texan, uh, especially someone uh, 
who was raised by you know a Baptist uh, minister, just such pillars of the community, um, especially uh, during the time that your father uh, was there. Uh, what do you think he taught you most? What he taught most? What he taught you most. I'm sorry. Um, I think the thing I remember from him more than anything, and, and remember, or, you know, remember, I will point out, um, he was president of the Baptist General Convention of Texas right as immigration was taking place. I did my student teaching in Waco right as they were immigrating the schools. And, and you see you see people you admire act in all different kinds of ways that um, cause you to question how did I get this so wrong? So so just to point that out, he was he was president at that point. Um, and there were certain things that he was doing that I didn't figure out until long afterwards when I was older and wiser and put the pieces together with my brother and sister. But I remember at one point he um, he complimented me um, something he had learned from one of my teachers. And he said that my teacher, Mr. Smith, said that I was a friend to everybody, that I didn't have cliques and how much he appreciated that. And, and I thought, well, the same thing could be said about you because he was one of those people who never met a stranger, never forgot anyone. Um, but I, I didn't make sense of that until I got older and moved to a different environment where I saw people do have groupings that everything's about that group. Um, and, and so I guess that's one thing is, um, you can you can be an individual and still choose which which group you want or don't want to be a part of or how much you want or don't want to be a part. Um, we should judge people as individuals. God made them to be. That is not great. because not because of other reasons. That is great advice. That's such great advice. Um, this question isn't as deep, uh, but it, thank it, you. It, it, it might it might be fun. Um, what's your favorite meal? If you, if you could, you know, eat anything right now, what would it be? I'm on this thing where I'm really into Caesar salad, but um, there's nothing wrong with a great hamburger. We won't get into which place in Waco is the best because it'll just start a street fight. So that's I, mine. Mine is always Mexican food, but several people that I've been interviewing for this have said hamburger. And I feel myself kind of being pulled towards the hamburger cult <laughs> just a little bit. And then the the last question that I've got is, what are you deeply grateful for right now? Oh, um, I'm deeply grateful for family. And, and I don't include just my parents, grandparents, brother, sister, husband, in-laws, all those things. Um, I, I extend that also to my Bader family because in many ways I was closer to some of the people I worked with and some of the students I worked with than I am some of my own family members. But I realized that anybody, um, anybody in those roles, um, in a way they were stuck with me. So they, they loved me at the same level I loved them or not. Um, they were always honest with me and they were always, always caring. And I know how unusual that is. 
um, especially the more I worked with students, I realized how extraordinarily fortunate I was, not only to have um, the family that I had growing up, um, to have the husband that I have now, um, to continue to be close to my brother and sister, but also that Baylor family who um, in so many ways took what they got from me or with me, the person I was, and made more of that. They partnered with me. They challenged me. They pushed me. Um, they offered me. Um, I'm a different person because of those Baylor people. Um, they took Martha Lou Chadwick coming from East Texas um, and loved her and, um, and continued to care and nurture her and then professionally support me and encourage me and offer me, uh, opportunities for me. Um, and, and talk about a blessing to be able to work at Baylor. Um, that literally takes my breath away. It's like, it's like this recognition to be recognized with Gaynor and Mike. Um, who can say they work with people like that on a daily basis? There's, there's so few. Uh, and, and that doesn't include Maxine and Autumn and all the others. It, it's just, um, I'm very, very, very fortunate. And I realize that. God has blessed me beyond any kind of imagination um, and beyond any measure. Um, I'm grateful for that. Well, Martha Lou, I'm so grateful for you and grateful for this time that we have spent together. Thank you so much for going deep into your story, telling us about it, and letting us honor you. I'm so very excited for this year's Hall of Fame. I'm Jonathan Platt, and you've been listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast, brought to you by Baylor Line Foundation. You can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you haven't, hop on over to wherever you're listening to this and follow, leave a rating, and a review. It really does help. Join me next week for another Direct Line Conversation. Thanks for listening.